You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton, and you're listening to Out of the Box, the podcast for mobile marketers looking to grow their businesses and break out of the box. Today on the show, we have our guest, Karan Bhavnani, Associate Marketing Manager at Triple Dot Studios. Karan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jess. So we're going to cover, we're going to have a pretty broad conversation today, I think, about growth marketing trends this year. Um, we're already a month or a month and a half into 2022. Um, but before we dive in, I'd like to, I'd like you to present yourself. I'd like to get a little bit of your history, how you got into growth marketing and, and how you got into Triple Dot Studios. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that it's, it's really great to be here. The first thing I want to say is that I'm a really big fan of the podcast. I've, I've listened to a lot of the shows and I think um, it's always been a good listen. I've had a lot of fun. It's like my little like weekend pastime. So I'm really happy to be here contributing to the community in my own way. Uh, so a little bit about me. I'm from Mumbai in India. I moved to the UK in 2014 to study economics and, and business management at King's College. I then went on to get a master's at London Business School in data analytics and management. Um, big uh, hello to any King's or LBS alumni listening in. Uh, I, I then kind of went from well, student to real life adult in the middle of the pandemic. So I think I timed that transition really well. Um, I, I always knew that I wanted to get into the startup space when I was sort of studying because um, I loved the idea of working with sort of very ambitious people in these high growth environments and trying to create something from the ground up. Um, so I, I started off getting some experience. I worked in the ed tech and the health tech space um, here in London. And during my roles there, I did, I did a bit of work on, on growth strategy. And I thought, you know, this is a really exciting space and I could really kind of make something here. And then um, I heard about Triple Dot through a, through a connection from business school, um, had, a, had a conversation. And I think that Triple Dot really had everything that I was looking for at the time. It was a, it was a, it was a young and energetic company. Um, the team was extremely ambitious. I think I resonated with the mentality here quite a bit. And that was like, hire talented people, um, give them the tools to, to succeed and let them express themselves and, and do what they do best. Um, so I, I thought that that was something that I, that I felt, you know, I could really use and it would work really well for me. So I started in January of 2020 um, as a marketing analyst, and, and I'm now an associate marketing manager here. And I primarily overlook all of our UA activity on, on the video ad networks for, for all of our games. Very cool. So for those listening uh, who, who are less familiar with Triple Dot, perhaps, and, and are listening later in time, uh, Triple Dot recently raise, raised uh, a Series B that put their valuation uh, in, in the unicorn territory. So certainly you, uh, you, you got onto the rocket ship at the right time. Uh, and I guess it'd be a good time also to, to maybe hear a little bit about who Triple Dot is, uh, what sorts mm -hmm. of uh, games you guys publish, who your main competitors are, and, uh, and who your demographics, uh, who, you're, who you're aiming to target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I love talking about Triple Dot and I love talking about our games and the people that play them because I think they're all fantastic. Um, I think it's it's because we have this fantastic user base um, and because of our games that Triple Dot, like you said, is is today one of the fastest growing 
mobile game studios in the world, and we've managed to secure this amazing um, valuation and this amazing funding round. Um, but yeah, we we come from humble beginnings. Um, a few years ago, we we started off, and our focus was on um, evergreen games. So our first titles were were titles like Solitaire and Blackjack and Sudoku. So these kind of timeless classics um, that I already been there on mobile for for several years at the time. Um, and and we we launched with these um, not because we we kind we underestimated the skills or the effort that we needed, but we wanted to show that we had um, the talent to kind of uh, show ourselves in this in this very saturated market. And and once we could do that, once we managed to execute on these on these classic titles and, and show that we could drive success with these products, we then started to kind of expand our. Our portfolio. Um, we started to introduce new games, um, and that's when we made um, Wudoku, which is which is one of our one of our sort of most famous titles um, at the moment. So it's like a, it's a it's a woodblock puzzle game, um, and it's it's been doing really really well. Um, given the success of Wudoku, we we wanted to expand on this on this category because we saw a lot of potential in the in the sort of puzzle uh, casual puzzle space. And, and we came out with more titles. Um, so now we're in the Merge Match 3 card story game. So we have a game called Merge Party. Uh, we have a game called Triple Dial. We have a game called Piper's Pet Cafe, which is actually my favorite, which is a, a tri-peak solitaire um, story-style game. So um, definitely check that out if you guys haven't. Um, I think what we wanted to do was we wanted to make that space of time when you're on the bus going somewhere or where you're waiting in a queue for a doctor's appointment or when you're just looking for something to do. We, we wanted to make that fun for everyone. Um, and we wanted to do that by making sure that people feel mentally stimulated and intellectually stimulated. Um, so that's, that's kind of a little bit about the games that we, that we make. Um, and I think in terms of our, our demographic, you know, we, we make games for everyone. Um, we have fantastic distribution across our user base. You know, it's definitely something we monitor, but we want to make games that anyone and everyone can enjoy. And I think that's the that's the beauty of the puzzle space. Um, and I think it's something we've seen recently. Again, you know, we've recently had this game called Wordle, which is kind of broken out and and kind of you know everybody is into this. And it's like you know maybe everyone the the market that this is targeting is not the typical gamer but it's like my mother my grandmother you know like people i see everywhere are now playing this game and and that's what we want to be you know we just want to be someone that that can create entertainment um and that's why also our our competitors are not necessarily just gaming companies but you know any anyone who's also trying to entertain and who's trying to compete for people's time is is you know something that we are um, that we end up competing with. Um, I think a really good example of this is a few months ago, there was this uh, this Facebook outage day where all the Facebook products just completely shut off. So there was no Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. Um, and initially, you know, we were like, how do I how do I get in touch with people? This is insane. Um, then it went to wait, what's happening to our marketing campaigns if Facebook is not working? Um, and we were kind of thinking of all these things and. Um, Interestingly, what happened the next day was we saw just a massive spike in engagement um, across our user base um, that was that was you know extremely uh, sort of came out of nowhere. 
And I think it once once we looked at it, we saw that that kind of correlated um, completely with the hours of the Facebook outage. And that kind of showed us like, well, if people are not able to use Facebook, they're, they're looking for something else to entertain them. And that's where we come in. So it kind of proved this point that well, we're not really just competing with with mobile game companies, we're, we're competing with um, anyone and everyone that's also in this sort of entertainment space and, and competing for people's time. For sure. Well, listen, I want to get into a little bit more of the of the marketing aspects of what you guys actually do at Triple Dot, because mm-hmm. you do have a big challenge. Not only are you vying for for people's attention rather than competing against games, but you also you're not really drilling down to any one segment of the population. You have to talk to anybody and everybody and be able to do that on a whole host of channels. And I've always been a little bit of a, of an operations geek. People who have listened to past episodes will know that. So I actually want to get started with, with how you guys structure the team, especially in a high growth environment. When you guys are at the beginning of your journey, you're adding games all the time. I'm sure you're adding channels all the time. How do you guys structure your growth team and how does that impact the the team's performance, your marketing performance? Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Jess. I think you know that's that's our secret sauce. Um, our team structure is, I, I think, it will always have an impact on on productivity and on performance. Um, and it's something that we see, you know, positively impact the day to day operation side of things and also the the bigger picture. Um, Something we try to do is make sure that everyone has a good understanding of all of our key traffic channels, and and, and this is you know particularly on the on the user acquisition team where I work. Um, we we do definitely have specialists for for the different networks and the different channels, but ensuring this base level of generalist skills means that we can be flexible in the moments that call for flexibility. And there's there's several of these moments, and I think. Having people that can work across channels and across networks and have this understanding of what you need to be looking for is what actually helps us um, be flexible and kind of put resources where they're needed the most and not have these restrictions around them. Um, so I think that's that's something that's really helped us in terms of structure. Um, another thing is actually you know having people together. So Triple Dot is is um, you know it's almost an office first space we, we really encourage people to to come into the office you know whenever possible assuming there are no sort of health concerns around it um, and we've created the space in our office to just be be an amazing fun and friendly um, space that has that's you know it's tend to have a really positive impact on on performance and on the people around um, it means that our team can you know share ideas everybody can see who's working on what and and it kind of um, it encourages everyone to to get together and share ideas and share resources and you know it's very common to find people working on new ways of like visualizing data or new optimization strategies or anything else and then it it creates this environment where suddenly you have you know one or two people looking at something, trying to decide is this the best way to do it. And then suddenly there's two more people looking and before you know it, like everybody's working on this thing and trying to trying to find like whatever we're looking for and sharing ideas and sharing kind of information on what they think is is best. Um, we're also hiring really, really aggressively and we're trying to get new people onto our team. Um, and this is something that also contributes to this because we're we're not looking for people to just slot in and, and be operational, but we're looking for people to challenge the way we think and to, to bring out new ideas and you know 
find the things that we can be doing better and encourage us to always perform at a higher level. Um, so I think that's that's what it is. It's the team. It's the way we operate. It's the way we encourage people, um, especially by giving them the environment that they need um, and giving them the tools they need to succeed and kind of um, allowing them to just be themselves. And um, it really helps because it means we, we work as a unit, um, whether it's marketing or product or monetization. Um, we're all in the same space. We're all interested in the same things. And, and that really helps. Um, it helps you build friends outside of your core team. And I think it helps you stay in touch with what with what everyone's doing. And and um, I think that's that's one of the keys to our to our success. So you I think you mentioned there that you also sit with the product team, right? Is that is that serendipitous or was that by design? That was that was by design. Um, so it's something we did actually think about uh, because we feel like there is um, a lot of overlap between product and marketing. Um, just knowing when product is doing you know, different A-B tests means that we know what we can expect on the UA side. Um, and then we can actually work with them to see, you know, we can, we can jump on the opportunities they create or we can manage any sort of risks that are created as a, as a result of that. Um, and I think that also, again, it kind of helps us communicate with each other. It means that everyone's on the same page and everyone is um, looking at the same data and, and aware of what's going on. Interesting. It's, it's, it's always interesting to me to understand where growth teams sit in relation mm-hmm. to those other teams, whether it be CRM or whether it be, uh, uh, whether it be those product teams, because you really get to see where those loops get closed and what sorts of experiments are actually happening and where they happen within the game. So it's a very interesting connection and has a has a nice effect on 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 how UA ch- uh, efforts mm-hmm. are done. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know you, you talked about experimentation. It's an it's an interesting segue into perhaps how you guys experiment on the UA team in terms of your marketing approach. So you guys, you know, you can say that you you develop pretty traditional games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it takes solitaire, that's basically as traditional as you get. I remember playing solitaire yep. on my father's first laptop when I was five years old. You know, that was that was what it was. Uh, but how experimental is is your marketing approach? Yeah, we we are definitely um, a data driven company. At the same time, we you know we want to test everything. Um, we feel like if something has potential, um, we test it and we let the data guide us. And I think it's this it's this mix, and it's quite a beautiful mix of instinct and data that allows us to leverage the traditional channels and also make the most of the experimental channels that we that we bring on um so you know we recently launched uh, a tv campaign in the uk which which i guess is you know it's as traditional marketing as it gets but maybe not for maybe not for puzzle games on a mobile in today's day and age um so we definitely want to try things we definitely want to see what we can do and and how it can how it can impact us and you know what results we can get from it um something I personally have always been interested in. So I, I live in London um, and I spend a lot of time commuting um, on the tube, on the bus. And, you know, there's always this moment where you're kind of sitting on the tube and you're staring into nothing and you'll see an ad in front of you. Um, and so, you know, we're always thinking about where we could position ourselves and, you know, what is the difference between the results that these things can drive. Um, the important thing for us is that um, the ways in which we acquire users uh, are attributable and measurable. Sorry, at, attributable and measurable. Um, so you want to know that we can actually find 
you know, we can we can measure the impact that it has on our user base. We know where it's coming from, and it's not getting getting mixed in with everything else because we have so many channels. Um, and so, as long as we can measure it, and long as, as long as we know where it's coming from, it's something that we want to try and and see whether it works for us. Um, we try definitely. We definitely take cues from the rest of the market, um, but I think you know we're always open to, to testing something new. Um, if there's anyone from the marketing software space listening in, if you think you have a marketing channel that could work for us, please get in touch. Um, we'd, we'd love to test it um, and, and see whether it's the right fit. So that's that's a good question. No, I mean, I mean, you're 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 sort of popping out the uh, the question into the uh, into the stratosphere, into the whatever sphere that we're talking into. But how do you go about finding new channels? How does your team do that? How do you discover uh, uh, those cutting edge channels? It is probably a little bit different for your type of uh, uh, of app development uh, uh, outfit to be advertising on TV. So reinventing the old into the new is certainly one way to do it. How else do you guys think about that? Well, to be honest, usually the channels um, come to us. I think you know there's so much competition in the market these days, and there's so many different types of tools that you can use that um, people are always trying to find you know people to test it, and, and we're always happy to be in that position where we're where we're listening in. Um, apart from that, you know we go for we we try to be out there in the public. So I I, I was recently at. Um, Pocket Gamer conference in in London, and you know places like that just have they have amazing um, insights into new technology, into the new things that are happening in the market, and and they're honestly a a great place to meet people. Um, you know, I think the the kind of ideas that you that you see on display um, at conferences, at events, um, even just on a podcast like this one. Is something that will, you know, it's always helpful. It's always helpful to be in touch with with the industry, um, and you pick up on things, and you meet people, and you share ideas, and and that's how we hear about things. I think deciding on what you should test first that's the that's the challenge. Um, it's like how much time can you commit to, to all the different you know types of traffic and types of channels that are available. And that's something that we try to take a, a structured and measurable approach to, kind of setting goals on what we expect to see and then we can test it and see you know did it did it meet what we were did it meet the goals did it do what we expected it to do and you know what was the outcome of that on our on our metrics so when you're talking about testing these new channels are you looking at testing channels on on sort of a tried and true title or is that something that you would also be willing to do on a on a title that you're just about to launch um, so it's usually on the tried and trusted channels. Um, you know, I think it's again, it's about the data. It's about having a baseline that we can um, compare it to, right. and that's where that's where it usually comes in on on the newer titles. You know, not having a very established baseline can sometimes um, make it sort of unsure about how effectively that channel is working. So we usually try to keep things. Um, you know, we try to create this hypothesis of what we expect to happen. And that's usually much easier um, when we're talking about something where we, where we, where we know how it's going to react and we'd have something to, to compare it to. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, so then talk to me about how you launch a new title. How does that work? Um, yeah, like I said, we have, we have a lot of new titles um, that have recently come out. And I think the, the launch process is, is all about ensuring that we're about to share a game that we are really proud to share. Um, it goes without saying that we we play our games. 
a lot. Um, we have to love them before expecting others to love them. Um, but before um, before that or alongside that, there's, there's a lot of small but still crucial steps that we have to take in the launch process. Um, I think a key part of that, or maybe even the most important, is monitoring and responding to customer interaction, um, whether that's interaction with our creatives, so on, on the sort of pre-install metrics, or whether that's trends around engagement on, on the post-install metrics. Um, you know, we want to know what our customers like, what they don't like, what they're enjoying and what they're not enjoying. And, and we can we do this by looking at the data at, at every stage um, and we just keep trying to, to optimize it. It's, um, it's really, it's not one single point of launch or one single moment. It's a continual process where we, we're constantly trying to make sure that we're, that we're doing, we're, we're listening to our users, we're giving them what we want, and we're trying to make sure that our games are the ones that people are, are choosing to play, and that's what they, they enjoy doing with their time. Very cool. I guess that uh, probably, I mean, you say that it's sort of a, uh, I guess it's not, it's not a single point in time, right? It's more of a gradual process as you go. But mm -hmm. at the beginning, I'm sure that the, those feedback loops are much tighter, right? You guys are probably mm -hmm. in, in sort of war mode as, as, as you start to build uh, your building. How do you know when you take the foot off the gas to sort of slow things down when you've come out of that sort of we're here and we're new mode into a more evergreen title mode? Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think it's, again, it's about um, figuring out or having these clear expectations of, of what you expect to see, right? Like, we like to come in with a plan. Um, we know what we're going to do, um, which channels we're going to test, what, what metrics we need. Um, and then again, it's that feedback and that iteration of seeing, okay, where fuses are dropping off, at what point are they dropping off? Is there something at that stage that we could be doing better? Um, and we try to just tailor those moments to, to better suit the users. Um, and once we once we're kind of happy with the metrics, is when we would, you know, decide to take our foot off the gas or you know go into more experimental um, sources of traffic and right. try new things. So we we try to really build a foundation first. Um, once we have that foundation, once we have that user base, once we know that there are people. Um, that are enjoying our games day in, day out, and we're getting this, this positive feedback on it, um, that's when we kind of go towards that, that next stage of you know, pushing it more or, or really being like, this is now um, you know, one of our key titles that we're going we're gonna to put ourselves behind and, and sort of um, let it run operationally. Very cool. Well, it sounds like the triple dot playbook is, is very, very well developed. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to look. I want to look forward. Uh, also, uh, I think you've you've talked to us. You've given us a lot of very tangible tips without going into too much detail. Um, but I do want to. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about what you see for 2022. Um, mm -hmm. What what trends are you seeing pick up? What do you expect or what do you predict is going to pick up uh, uh, in 2022 for mobile apps? It's. Uh... It's a crazy world out there in 2022, and there's you know there's infinite new channels and opportunities that are coming up. Um, again, I think I'd, I'd go back to my experiences this last weekend um, or this last start of the week at, at at the Pocket Gamer Conference. I think what I was really surprised to see was the significant presence of NFT gaming um, at the conference, and I'm 
I'm really excited to see where this heads over the, the, the next sort of six to nine months because, I mean, where it's come in the last one year is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the, it's the presence that it has now and the fact that everybody wants to know more about it, everybody wants to get involved and everybody wants wants a piece of the pie is is really amazing. And, um, you know, I think it's it's great effort that's been put in by these companies and it's it's really great for our industry because it means that you know once again gaming has been brought to the forefront of technology um and it's you know the first place that people are are using this technology and using these you know new ways of reaching users and engaging with them um so that's something i'm i'm really excited to to, to sort of watch over and and see what happens with it um i think it's going to be a great ride and i'm going to be watching that really closely um for me, the other ones are, you know, I, I would say I'm really excited by by TikTok. Um, I think we've all seen it rise to to the forefront of social media and really become this massive powerhouse in social media. Um, I'm really excited to see if if that's going to translate into into the ad space. If they're going to compete with the, you know, with the big boys of of, of advertising um, and actually, you know, kind of cement that position there. Um, so, so for me, that's that's really exciting one. Um, I think Google recently announced that they're going to have their own version of of ADD, and they're going to it's going to be some changes being made. Again, uh, it's something that we always knew was going to happen. Um, we never knew when. It looks like you know 2022 may be the last year that we that we get to continue with business as usual, and then there's going to be some changes. So you know, there's always these there's there's so many things that change. Um, in-game ads is something that I think is also picking up a lot. Um, audio ads is something I heard a lot about at, at Pocket Gamer, and it seems like it's really picking up a lot of steam. Um, you know, I wouldn't know which horse to bet on, but I'm sure that all of these is is going to be you know extremely relevant for the next year. Um, and, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about about all of these things in in the next few months. Wow, there's definitely some uh, some very interesting stuff going in 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 all of those four categories. I think that, that there's certainly a lot to watch, and and maybe we'll be able to loop back to this conversation in a year and and see where things have gone because because uh, it's going to be an interesting time. That's that's for sure. One thing that uh, that has been happening for the last couple of years, certainly that I've been seeing up close, is is a lot of automation, mm-hmm. and as we move into a world of of black boxes and, and we go further away from the gate, uh, ATT has happened and we have fewer and fewer data points that are being uh, uh, externalized, uh, as we say. What, what, what do you think that means for the future of marketing managers such as yourself? What, where does automation leave you? Uh, I think it leaves me in a, in a great position. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of automation. Um, I think automation is here to support UA managers like myself. Um, and for me, you know, it, it, it means there's a lot more time to focus on strategic tasks and the strategic side of the role. Um, you know, automation, I, I think what it is, is, is it's just, it's processes that um, need to be done repetitively um, on a daily basis or, or very, very frequently. And it needs to be done consistently and correctly every single time. Um, you know, there's human error with all of these things. And I think on one side, automation removes that um, and it kind of allows you this this time to, to focus more on, on a higher level thing um, and to pay more attention to trends. And, and it leaves the, the sort of, um, 
you know operational side of things a little to to itself um but i think they work together um i think it's a pairing um, of humans and automation and i think together this is going to continue evolving into 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 a massive powerhouse um i definitely agree that it's something that's already in our market and it's already something that all of us need to need to listen to and need to be aware of and need to see to what extent we can use it um but for me i think it's it's great because it's um it's this idea of almost converting uh, logical thinking and you know some may call it gut instinct um into a mathematical formula i think that that actually gives it real substance um you know it it it's it's a way of putting down whatever happens in our minds or you know kind of by nature um into something that we can mimic and we can actually improve on um and again this means that we can now spend you know more time improving the inputs we're giving to the automation and and, and understanding its limitations and how we can better that or how we can use it and how it applies to us um i think it's taking us from a point where you know we we need to make much fewer decisions and i think personally that it's it's better to make one or two amazing decisions in a day than to make 50 average or good decisions in a day for sure well wow, that's that's a pretty good tagline for uh for your automation company should you build it sometime in the future um <laughs> Karen this this has been a really insightful conversation I think I you know I've taken a lot of of good practical tips um and and if I if I want to launch a game I know who I'm going to be coming to and I'd like to wrap up with uh with one final question um which uh, which hopefully can be of some use to somebody else and that's that's what is one mistake that you've made personally and and what did you learn from it that's a that's a great question um well I think you know I've made a lot of mistakes in my time uh but I think um you know I think we always take risks in this industry um you know let me know if you think this is a cop out answer but I think it's um you know not taking risks is always is is something that a lot of people kind of go down the the route of I think I I like to think of risks as opportunities and I think you know there's nothing wrong with making mistakes it's about learning from them um and you can't always get it right you you won't always get it right but that's the that's the nature of opportunity taking um i think you know i think being well informed um knowing the the possibilities of any decision you're going to make and sort of being well prepared and thinking very carefully about all the possible outcomes is always a good exercise um and these are the things that i that i try to focus on so you know whenever you have an opportunity i try to take it and you know sometimes it may not go according to plan and i guess in some ways that's a failure but in other ways it's 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 a learning um and i think it's important to to focus on that on that learning um and as long as you've you've taken you've taken that away and you've used it to improve and you've used it to better your decision making ability um that's that's what i think the focus should be on so you know i don't want to say keep making mistakes but you know definitely keep learning and definitely keep keep trying to improve well that's a pretty good answer and i'm sure that'll resonate with many many of our listeners it's good good life advice karen thank you very very much for joining us today it's been a great conversation it's been amazing thanks very much